The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Parshat B'Shalach is epic, mostly because it contains Judaism's paradigmatic miracle, the parting of the Red Sea. And then to celebrate, it has the triumphant Song of the Sea, Shirat Hayam. The song is one of the only parts of the Torah written in the scroll in poetic form. It has this very cool layout that's meant to look like the two walls of the parted sea, with the children of Israel walking down the middle. This glorious moment in the Torah is so epic that we actually named the Shabbat on which it's read Shabbat Shirah, the Sabbath of song. But after all the grand flair of the miracles and the songs has died down, there's a much quieter moment that the Torah sees fit to mention. A strange little aside, just one verse describing a stop on the journey, along with some seemingly random details. And they came to Elim, Vayavo Elima, the Torah says, Vasham Shtemesre Enot Mayim Vishivim Tmarim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, Vayachnusham Al Hamain, and they camped there by the water. It's those little details that really caught my attention. Gabriel Garcia Marquez once said about his literary technique. If you say there are elephants flying in the sky, people are not going to believe you. But if you say there are 425 elephants flying in the sky, people will probably believe you. The extra details bring the scene to life, give it a textured reality. So then we have to ask, why 12 springs of water? Why 70 palm trees? What's going on there by the water that the Torah wanted to call our attention to? When we go and look at the classical commentators for answers, we always start with Rashi. And Rashi doesn't fail to notice these little details here either. Twelve springs of water, he says, quoting from the Midrash, corresponding to the twelve tribes of Israel. And seventy palm trees, corresponding to the seventy elders of Israel. Now, this is classic Midrashic logic. What do you think of first in Judaism when you hear the number 12? The tribes. And what about the number 70? The elders. And so, there you have it. But wait, have what? Rashi's making connections, but what does it all mean? Well, let's look back at the original source, a legal Midrashic work called the Mechilta, and see what else it says. Magida katuv this verse is there to tell us that this place had the best water in the world. You know this because, behold, there were twelve springs of water, 
only enough to sustain 70 palm trees. But when the children of Israel came and dwelt beside them, all 600,000 of them, these springs provided for them all, and they camped there for three days. So these waters sustained the people, enough so that they can make camp there. Really good water, only 12 springs, but they really did the job. Okay, very nice. But is that it? It's so important for us to know how good the water was here? It still feels like something is missing in this explanation. So our next stop among the commentators is the Ibn Ezra, and he begins to connect some of the dots for us. Because he pans out a bit and puts this verse in context of what's come just before it. It mentions the palm trees, he says, to let you know that this water was sweet, unlike the water of Mara, because palm trees cannot survive on land whose waters are bitter. The Ibn Ezra is reminding us that the place the children of Israel are coming from, just five verses back, had a very different water situation. Listen to this. Moses traveled with the people from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, but they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. So we have some contrast here. This isn't just good water now. It's good water that comes after a scarcity, after a bad water supply. So that must make it taste especially sweet and especially refreshing. But then thinking about that three-day search for water, I remembered something that put all the pieces of this Parsha together for me. Because the Talmud in Bava Basra uses that very verse about the bitter waters to construct a, a beautiful religious metaphor. The Talmud says, it was taught, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Those who interpret verses symbolically, the Dorshe Rishumot, they said, Ein Mayim Ela Torah. Water always refers to Torah, that is, the word of God. As it says in Isaiah, let all who are thirsty come to water. Hoi kol lechu so this verse means to say that because they went three days without Torah, immediately they became exhausted. And this becomes a classic symbol in rabbinic literature. Torah is like water. It flows, it comes from the depths, it gives life. Torah is water and water is Torah. So whenever you see a story with water, read Torah. And that gives new meaning to our little scene here with the springs in the palms. The waters were sweet there. They sustained the people physically. But this is also the first moment after fleeing from slavery and wandering frightened and miserable through the desert that the people have a chance to recuperate spiritually, to be nourished not just by water, but also in the quiet, cool breeze under the shade of the palm trees to be revived by the word of God. That's why Rashi makes the numerical connections we saw earlier. There are springs of water, that is, reservoirs of Torah, 
enough to sustain the identity of all the tribes and to provide guidance to grow 70 wise elders amongst them. What's more, if we pan out even further, we begin to realize that this whole Parsha, scene after scene, is dominated by images of water. Where did they come from when they began their thirsty three-day journey? The sea. The sea which had split for them and towered above them. They were surrounded by water, which we're now reading to mean they were surrounded by Torah, immersed in an exhilarating, overwhelming, miraculous encounter with God. They sang with joy at the glory of it all. And then, nothing for three days. Then, suddenly, they come upon an oasis. And there is water there, good water. But it's a very different experience of water than the one they've just had. This is a quiet, soothing, revitalizing water source. This is a place to camp out and meditate for a few days, to gain strength and become healthy enough to move on into the barren desert. Sometimes Torah is awesome and mighty, terrifying and miraculous, and it blows your mind. And then sometimes Torah is quiet, subtle and intricate, and it whispers something to you that tickles a spot in your brain or soothes a place in your soul. But either way, we need it. Like water, we'll die without it. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom. And our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever, if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.